This is, John hasn't mentioned Gethsemane before, but we know that this is a special place. This is a place where Jesus met often with his disciples. And it's a place that Judas knew well. Let's continue. Verse 3. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. If you remember, Jesus exposed Judas as his betrayer in John 13, 21. But the disciples didn't understand. John tells us that Satan literally enters Judas when he takes the bread from Jesus. And that Jesus told him, what you are going to do, do it quickly. So we've been going through the last five chapters. And while Jesus has been speaking to his disciples and, and praying for them, while he's been doing this in the upper room, Judas has been out plotting and amassing this crowd of soldiers. We see a little bit of his plan in Matthew 26, 47. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with a great crowd and swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I kiss is the man. Seize him. The one I kiss is the man. Jesus... Judas kisses Jesus to signal to the crowd that's with him which person to seize. And then Jesus, upon receiving this kiss, says in Luke 22, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And in Matthew, he says, friend, do what you came to do. So here Judas is, face to face with Jesus in this garden that, he's, that he has taught him with several times. He has this crowd at his back and this crowd is armed to the teeth with clubs and swords and they're ready to apprehend Jesus. John continues in verse 4. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with him. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now notice verse 4. Jesus, it said, Jesus knew everything that was going to happen to him. He knows what is coming. You see, we have a glimpse here of Jesus' omniscience. This is no mere man that they're coming up. He knows exactly what's going to happen. He's not some divine chess player who's thinking this is most likely what's going to happen. No, Jesus knows the outcome of the events before they happen. He is omniscient. He asked them, whom do you seek? They reply, Jesus of Nazareth. Then Jesus says something absolutely stunning. He says, I am he. Now you'll notice in your Bibles there's a footnote at the end of Jesus' response, I am he. English doesn't do this justice. He looked them straight in the eye and he said to them, Ego I me, which in Greek literally means I am. I am. Now pause, why is there a he that's added in our English translations? 
The soldiers said, we are seeking Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus replied, I am. Notice that's not really a complete sentence. It's, it's not really an answer to what they're saying. It begs for a resolution. It's like, I am Jesus, or I am, I am he. So the he is implied in this, but Jesus, Jesus did this for a reason. The reason Jesus spoke in this disjointed sentence is because he was actually referring to something. He was quoting something. Turn with me to Isaiah 43.10. You see, when Jesus told him he was, I am, the very name of God, in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, we find this very passage. Isaiah 43.10 You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Or in the Greek, ego I me. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you, and you are my witnesses, declares the Lord. And I am God, and henceforth I am He. Ego, I me. And there is no one who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? Jesus was quoting the Old Testament. He was quoting Isaiah. Jesus used the exact unusual sentence construction that Isaiah used of God. And this was not the first time that Jesus has done this. In fact, we've already read in John 8, that is why I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, ego I me, you will die in your sins. And when you have lifted up the Son of Man, you will know that I am He, ego I me, and that I can do nothing on my own but speak exactly what the Father has taught me. There's no question. Jesus is here claiming to be God. Now, He's not claiming to be the Father, but He is claiming to be the same God as the Father. He is God like the Father is God. Indeed, in John 1, we read, in the beginning, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Jesus declared to those gathered to arrest him, I am, and their response is telling. I'm not sure exactly what this looked like, but we know that it was supernatural in nature. Verse 6, and when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Just a quick question. Have you guys ever seen uh, any of the, the film depictions of the Gospels, like Passion of Christ or King of Kings or uh, Jesus of Nazareth? How many of these actually show this event? I've not seen one that actually showed them fall to the ground like this. Now, maybe this was some forceful blast that he said that knocked them on their backs. Or maybe this was just the physical reaction to the weight of his declaration of being God. Amen. Whatever the case, the soldiers drew back like scared children and fell to the ground. 
whether their minds apprehended what was going on, their bodies bowed in the dust before the Creator. He is God. And Jesus broke the stunned silence, saying, He asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am He. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. You see the compassion of Jesus here. He is the good shepherd laying down his life for his sheep. He's making sure they don't get hurt. He's making sure his own are not harmed. And God the Father is answering Jesus' prayer that we just read, that he would protect his own. But Peter had other plans. See, he wasn't going to let Jesus go down without a fight. So, verse 10, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? The soldiers approach, and they place their hands on Jesus, presumably with his permission, because they were just bowing on the ground. And when he answered them again, he said, So if you seek me, let these men go. That presumably was permission to come get him. When they put their hands on him again, Peter struck him. Peter springs into action, severing Malchus's ear. Jesus stops Peter, preventing further bloodshed. In Matthew, he warns Peter by saying, For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father, and he will at once send me more than a... 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? Back in John's account, Jesus asked Peter, shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Again, we see Jesus' protection of a sheep. He's actually protecting Peter. He's saying, Peter, if you keep fighting, you will die. Put your sword away. Jesus dispels the situation then by stooping and healing the ear of Malchus. Puts the guy's ear back on. Amazing. Make no mistake. Jesus was not overpowered. Jesus was no victim. He had the power at any moment to command angels to destroy those who would seek to capture him. He could have flexed his divinity and obliterated them. Better yet, he is the one who holds all things together. He could have just went, oh, let them go, and they would have disintegrated. Jesus is not weak. Peter failed to grasp that Jesus was in absolute control, even over his own arrest. And Jesus said all of this was so that the scriptures may be fulfilled. He told Peter, shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? We learned that Jesus prayed earlier in the garden, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus knows there's no other way. He must drink the cup of the Father's wrath. He is utterly resolved to obey his Father, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the God that we serve. So Jesus allows himself to be taken. Let's continue in verse 12. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. 
First they led him to Annas, for he was the, high, he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. So Jesus is taken to Annas, Caiaphas' high priest, while they make all the preparations to have their kangaroo court. And we know how this is going to end. Caiaphas had already convinced the Jews that Jesus was going to die for the nation, that he was going to be somewhat of a sacrifice that was going to bring God's favor upon Israel. And in a, in a very twisted way, he was right. He was so right, he didn't know he was right. They're going to do everything in their power to ensure that Jesus is killed. He's not going to get a fair trial. They're going to make sure that he is killed to benefit the nation. And that's the end of this section here. Now John has written these things so that we will believe and that by believing we will have life in his name. You believe that Jesus Christ is Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we will have life in Jesus' name. What are we to believe? From this passage, what are we to believe? Number one, Jesus is God. He has declared it to be so. He used the exclusive name of God, I am, of himself. He is the same God of the Old Testament. He has been there from the beginning. All things were created through him. He is God. There's so many scholars and so many people that will seek to convince you that Jesus never said he was God. Rather, a God or a good teacher, a prophet. Don't believe a word of it. Jesus has declared himself to be, I am. He is God. Two, Jesus absolutely loves his Father and was fully obedient regardless of the cost. Jesus' primary motivation for going to the cross was for his Father. And his, he and his Father loved us. But make no mistake, he did this because the Father had given him this cup to drink. He was obedient. In all the ways that we are disobedient, Jesus was obedient. Three, Jesus is powerful. Jesus is powerful. He didn't have to comply with the soldiers. He could have called legions of angels to his defense. Better yet, in Christ, like I said, all things hold together. It would have taken nothing for him to get out of that situation. And yet, he chose to humble himself. He chose to endure beatings and floggings, ultimately crucifixion, for us. This was no lack on his part. He submitted himself. Four, Jesus is merciful. Jesus is merciful. The soldiers depended on Jesus for their next breath. And the very breath that Jesus granted to them, they used to curse his name. They used to accuse him. They breathed out lies. He was merciful. Number five, Jesus is patient. 
Jesus knew from the very beginning that Judas was going to betray him. He knew. He knew that he was a son of perdition. Yet he allowed him to break bread with him. He saw the very miracles that the other disciples saw. He heard the same sermons that they heard. Jesus washed Judas's feet. Jesus is patient. Jesus had every chance to repent. And yet he chose to betray Jesus. Judas may have counted the silver, but he didn't count the cost. That's not my own. I saw this somewhere this week, and I cannot for the life of me remember the source of that, but I thought it was so poignant. Jesus, uh, Judas counted the silver, but he did not count the cost. Judas sold Jesus out for the modern-day equivalent of $600. $600. He sold out his Lord. And he soon found out it wasn't worth it. Would you turn with me to Matthew 27, 3 through 10, and we'll see the end of Judas. Matthew 27, 3 through 10. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is it to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. But the chief priests, taking the pieces of silver, said, It is not lawful for us to put them into the treasury, since it is blood money. So they took counsel and bought bought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. And in Acts 1, we learn that not only did Judas hang himself, but that after doing so, he fell headlong and burst open into the field whether that was because of putrefaction or whether that was because he fell from some great height, we don't know. But Judas saw no hope. He hanged himself and burst open. And this is the horrific end of Judas. And it's a sobering reality for us too. It is possible to be close to Jesus and be not of him. You can travel in the company of Christians and yet not be counted among them. Outwardly, you maybe appear to be a Christian, but inwardly, you don't love Jesus. You haven't been born again. Friends, if this is you, I have good news. I have good news. Judas may have sold his master to profit himself, but Jesus gave himself for us. We were not the treasure in a field that Jesus sold all of his things to go and buy. We were not the treasure. We were not the pearl of great price that Jesus just had to have, and so he sold everything. No, that's completely backwards. We 
our adulterous Gomer. And Jesus is righteous Hosea who goes after his bride even though she commits adultery again and again and again and again. Jesus is the treasure. Jesus is the pearl of great price. Jesus is the one who will be worth leaving everything that we have and following him. Jesus is the treasure. Sell everything and buy Jesus. Sell everything. Renounce your sins. All the treasures of this world will never satisfy you. Follow Jesus whatever it takes. Repent and believe and trust in Jesus. As for those of you who, you, who do not yet believe in Christ, believe in him. Believer, are you terrified this morning? I know I often am. I often consider, what if I am a Judas? What if I have lived my life being so close to God and yet not, not, not close enough? Is there some cherished sin in my heart like that of Judas, like that greed that kept Judas from loving God? Is there something in me that at the end will prove me unfaithful to Jesus and he will say, depart from me, I never knew you? What a terrifying thought. Have you counted your sins and said to yourself, surely I am Judas? Let me ask you, do you love Jesus this morning? Do you love him? Do you desire him? Do you want to be holy for him? Take heart from these words of Charles Spurgeon. Follow with me, or just listen. I knew a dear Christian woman who would sometimes say, I know that I love Jesus, but my fear is that he does not love me. Her doubt used to make me smile, for it never could have occurred to me. If I love him, I know it is because he first loved me. Love to God in us is always the work of God's love toward us. Jesus loved us and gave himself for us, and therefore we love him in return. Love to Jesus is an effect which proves the existence of its cause. Do you love Jesus? Do you feel a delight in him? Is his name is music to your ear and honey to your mouth? Do you love to hear him extolled? If you do indeed love the Father that begat him, that is begotten of the Father, then this is one of the things that is written, that you may know that you have eternal life. You see, the St. John who wrote this gospel wrote this, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. If you love Jesus this morning, if you believe that He is the Christ, you have been born again. Amen. And He will hold you fast to the end. This is our Lord Jesus Christ, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, who has added us as God's children, Believer, you need not fear. Repent and believe. The same path that the new believer has, the same path that a person has to be a believer, is the same path we walk every day. Repent of our sins. And believe Jesus is sufficient enough to wash away our sins. This is the good news. Let's pray.
Jesus, this morning, your love for us, not our love for you, is our theme. We know our love is often cold. We know that you will hold us fast. Jesus, we ask for strength to repent of our sins. And God, we ask if there's any here that do not know know you, that you will bring them to you, that you will show them your immeasurable love for them and that you will cause them to be born again. Help us to worship you, you who willingly took on our, our blame, you who willingly took the nails that were destined for our hands. We deserve death, and you gave us life. Your mercy is more. We thank you in Jesus' name. my mind to Calvary